Welcome back, everyone, to the Why Marketing Podcast. I am Rusty Pepper, and on today's show, we're going to be visiting with Matt Peckman, the CMO of the Gambrinus Company, the makers of that fantastic Texas beer, Shiner Bach. So, Matt, welcome to the Why Marketing Podcast. Thanks, Rusty. Excited to be here. Oh, we're glad to be able to sit down and chat with you. So, before we get too far into it, I wanted to get us kicked off with a quick speed round, if you don't mind. That way we get to know you a little bit better. Sure. All right. So we're going to fire away. What's your most used emoji? Oh, man. Probably either the thumbs up or the rock and roll bevel horns. I like the rock and roll. I, I like that because it's longhorn. So it, it yeah, it, it has the, the dual hook'em horns, but I, I find that kind of works for it's like a more enthusiastic version of the thumbs up, is how I use it. Yeah, I like that. Not the standard old smiley face. What was your favorite subject in school? Oh man, great question. I really enjoyed history. I enjoyed English. I, I enjoyed some of the coursework that gives you a little bit more of a creative outlet. I would have thought you would have said math, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. As a reformed finance guy, I was good at math, but I have to be honest, I, I never truly enjoyed it. And that's part of the reason I eventually found myself in brand marketing. Okay. We're, we're going we're gonna to peel back those layers here in a little bit, because I, I, I was curious how all that came about. So next uh, question, what's your hidden talent? Oh, man. Hidden talent. Gosh. I'll, I'll try to give you a little bit more serious answer. I've really discovered over the years, Rusty, that where where I get really passionate is helping other people uncover their passions and unlock and tap into that. And I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that as we get into it, because it's become fundamental to how I like to build and lead high-performing teams. And I'll, I'm sure I'm going to mention passion for what I do quite a few times in this conversation. And it's certainly what drives and motivates me. So it, it, I really love helping other folks uncover what they're passionate and excited about. That's awesome. It uh, sounds like a superpower too. And the last one, what brand inspires you most? Fantastic question. There's a lot of brands that are doing some really good stuff out there. There was a, a campaign not that long ago by Carhartt, the apparel company. And I have to assume that the majority of the customers for this company are men, just from you know what I've observed. And clearly, they were looking to expand into to attract more women consumers. And they came up with just a fantastic campaign that was all about female empowerment, going back to this whole Rosie the Riveter type vibe, but just really well done called Carhartt Women. And to me, that was just it was a fantastic emotional spot that didn't get into pandering in any way and just really felt true and, and authentic and really inspirational in a way that I'm sure impacted the brand awareness and brand connection with, with women consumers. Card's actually done a really good job as a brand, trying to become really relevant across uh, a lot of different demographics. For the long time, they were just this workwear provider, but you now they've really done a great job, I think, transcending and becoming more lifestyle-oriented. Very much lifestyle brand. It's fun to see. So thank you for playing along with that. And I want to talk about your background because you have a pretty interesting background. I was looking at it. We talked a little bit about the, the finance side of it, but you went to undergrad at Notre Dame. Then you went in five years into finance at Bagster. Bagster, yeah. It was, a, it was a finance role at a medical device slash pharmaceutical company. 
Yeah. Which, you, which I enjoyed, mind you. I, I think it was actually really rewarding working at a company that their products help better people's lives, literally, through their health, and in many cases, save lives. Where I struggled with that was I was the finance guy, and so I was doing budgets and forecasts and looking at P&Ls and everything like that, which was interesting, and I, I was well-trained for that, but I really felt removed from the end user or the patient that we were actually helping. And for me, that was the missing piece of, of the puzzle. I realized at that time, almost instinctually rather than overtly, that I wanted to have a stronger connection to the end user or the end consumer. You took my thunder away a little bit on that because <laughs> you went from Baxter, then you went to the Warren School, got an MBA. I assume maybe while you were doing that, you're like, okay, maybe I got to really figure out where I want to spend my career. Because then you went over to Diageo after you, it looks like you spent a long time at Diageo in different roles. But at what point did you realize, I'm a marketer. I don't want to do this finance crap. I want to be a marketer. Yeah, I definitely took what I think you would call a non-traditional or unexpected path into marketing. As you touched on, I found myself at Wharton in business school and I'm engaging with all these very talented and high-speed classmates and everybody's gunning for private equity or iBanking or top-tier management consulting. And I was in the mind space like, man, I'm not really feeling passionate about any of those. So I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go. And honestly, as, as luck would have it, let me let me just say this, this is really about being in the right place at the right time, or how having a single unexpected skill led to a 14-year career at the world's largest beverage alcohol supplier. So as luck would have it, Diageo, or it was then known as, as Guinness UDV, happened to be conducting an information session on campus, like a recruiting session. And I, I saw that and I said, huh, Guinness, that's interesting. I love beer. Uh, I love Guinness. Let me go check this out and see what it's all about. At the very least, I'm going to get a couple free Guinnesses out of it. So it, it won't be a, a total loss. And I, I went in there, I sat through the presentation and I was astonished to learn that not only does this company make Guinness, but they make other amazing world-class brands like Johnny Walker, Crown Royal and Tanqueray Gin and just an amazing portfolio of beverage alcohol brands. And at that moment, it clicked, wait a minute, I don't have to be working in a field or for a company that does something that I don't feel a deep, intimate connection for. I could actually work somewhere that does products and brands that I'm really passionate about. And for me, that was something that really clicked. I was passionate about beer. I was a beer aficionado. I loved whiskey at the time. So, you know, it was something that that was a little bit of an eye opener for me. And then again, as fate would have it, I was working part time at a pub on campus just to help pay my tuition. And that's where they were having the reception after this information session. So I just jumped behind the bar impromptu. And as it turned out, I was the only one there who knew how to pour a proper two-stage pint of Guinness. All the HR folks from Guinness UDV, soon to be Diageo, were congregated around my station. So I'm working the charm, I'm chatting with all of them. And I was very fortunate to, to get an interview out of that. And that interview led to an internship, which led to a 14-year career. It was literally the, the only interview that I had at Diageo. It was one 30-minute interview. And, and pouring cocktails. Pouring, pouring a lot of perfect pints. That's awesome. But along that journey, 
when was it that you saw that? Because you, you were at corporate strategy there, you did finance, but then there was some marketing. Where did that light bulb go off though? Yeah, it was. I was working in corporate strategy, which I really enjoyed. I got a lot of exposure to the C-level folks at Diageo and worked on a lot of very high-level strategic projects, which helped me think like a C-level leader. And I think gave me a fantastic foundation that comes in handy every day in in my career as now a, a senior leader with the companies that I've been working on. So that was invaluable to me. But one of the one of the projects that I was working on in this strategy role was the acquisition of Kettle One Vodka. And I was working on a, a pretty small team negotiating that that partnership slash acquisition of Kettle One with the Nolet family out of the Netherlands. And as part of that project, we were working on revamping some of the brand marketing for Kettle One. And I was working with a few folks out of the IGO marketing on that. Now, I should go back and mention that when I was at, at Wharton, I was a marketing and strategy manager, or I'm sorry, major. And when I was working on this marketing project for Kettle One, it really clicked that, man, I've I am really passionate about consumers. I want to get back into sort of this marketing space. I've got the foundation to do it, but if I really want to follow my passion, I've got to make it happen now because this was five, six years into my Diageo career. So it really clicked when I was doing that work. And I was pretty entrenched in the strategy team at that time. So it, it took me a little bit of time to build the relationships and the track record of success with some of the, the senior leadership within Diageo Marketing. But I was lucky enough at one of one of Diageo's semi-annual restructurings that I was able to convince enough people and have enough of a track record of success for them to take a chance on me within marketing. And they put me on a dusty little brand called Tank Ray, which was in their portfolio that gin was a category that was not exactly setting the world on fire. Tank Ray as a brand, I think, hadn't grown in about six years. And gin in its totality was only about 4% of Diageo's total sales. So it was a, a pretty low risk move on their part, but man, did it excite and motivate me. And I just saw what a jewel that brand was. And my team and I, we lived the brand every day. It was a lot of blood, sweat and tears and, and passion and duct tape to try to hold this thing together with, with almost no budgets. After year one, we put it back into slight growth. We were able to prove some growth drivers and get a little more budget. And then we were cooking with gas. We came up with a fantastic campaign that sort of tapped into what was happening culturally at the time where shows like Boardwalk Empire, shows like Mad Men were really culturally relevant. And every one of those shows involved Don Draper and Roger Sterling drinking classic cocktails like the old fashioned or like the gin martini. And it really arose a lot more consumer interest into those classic recipes. And gin was a key component of many of those original classic cocktails. So we were able to tap into that type of cultural insight and get our wagons to it and really put the brand back into growth consistently through some brilliant marketing from the team and the agencies that I worked with and some really timely innovation. And I really recollect fondly on that. It was the first brand, first big brand that I got to work on. I had a number of other brands under me at that time, but the first big brand that I got to work on at that point, it was, there was no looking back at all. I knew that, you know, I was cut out to be a brand marketer. That's awesome. So you, you got bit by that. It got in your system and it's what you became. And 
you know, from there, you went to a couple other uh, companies, continues to move up. Now you're the CMO at the Gambrinos company. I'm a Texan, so I'm very familiar with the flagship brand, which is Shiner Pop Beer. But for those that are maybe not familiar with it from other parts of the country or even countries, let's talk about the Gambrinos company, because you've only been there about, what, six months now. So your role there as CMO and why, why you decided to take the job. Sure. Thank you for teeing that up so nicely, Rusty. Let me kick this thing off in style, at, in true Texas style at that point. At this point, uh, that was an ice cold Shinerbach being opened. It is rather early when we're conducting this podcast, but let's call it a, a quality control spot check. It's never too early for a Shiner, right? Exactly. Exactly. I had lived in Texas previously, uh, heading up marketing for D Betty Vodka. And when you are in Texas, Shinerbach is ubiquitous. It is by far the number one craft beer in Texas. It's actually the number five beer overall in Texas, right up there with the Bud Lights and the Modelos of the world. And more importantly, this brand is Texan through and through. It was founded in 1909 in Shiner, Texas. And here we are 112 years later, and every drop of Shiner is still made in Shiner, Texas. We're the third largest independent brewery in the country. And it is a brand that is near and dear to the heart of almost all Texan beer drinkers. Uh, we, we literally get love letters in the mail from our consumers just talking about what the brand has meant to them. And it's either a story of them them growing up and Shiner being their grandfather's beer or their father's beer and them passing that down to them. Or we sometimes get consumers talking about how they're transplants to Texas. And we know that there's thousands and thousands of, of new folks moving down to Texas every year. And Shinerbach becomes a cultural touch point for them. And we get a lot of notes about how Shiner made them feel like a Texan for the first time and gave them a, a way to become Texan and be accepted by, by their friends and peers down here. So this is a brand that has a very deep emotional and in some cases, spiritual connection to a lot of Texan beer drinkers. I'm super, super excited to be able to have the opportunity to work on this brand. I saw firsthand what it means to Texas beer drinkers. The brand has really everything that you would look for as a brand marketer, right? It's got tremendous history and heritage. It was started by German and Czech immigrants in 1909. It has been family owned since that time. It's got tremendous provenance in Texas. Every drop has been brewed in China for 112 years. Independence, quality, we've won over 80 medals in international competitions. And the, the brand fame with Texas consumers, it really checks every box that, that you'd want as a brand. And then we do about 70% of our sales in Texas. So outside of Texas, we are distributed in, in all 50 states. But in those markets, we're very much a discovery brand. So we have the opportunity to act like a very big brand in Texas and do big brand things. But we also have the challenges and opportunities that, that are presented in other markets to drive awareness and recruit new consumers into the brand outside of Texas. We, we don't have that general love of Texas with many of those consumers. So we really need to try to find some real deep consumer insights and, and drive that type of connection. So what are some of the challenges that, that are on your list of where you're going to be focusing marketing efforts? You mentioned already that outside of Texas, you're a challenger brand to 
other brands that are already established in those regions or areas. How, how do you break through? Because it is a very crowded space and it, competition is coming in every day. There's more and more innovation, more brands coming into the market. Cannabis now is also taking market share from alcohol beverage companies. Yeah, that's a great question. And for me, it's all about tapping into our consumer insights. And the consumer that we're talking to in Texas, yes, is the Texan beer drinker. Outside of Texas, we're looking for sort of this spiritually Texan beer drinker. And what I mean by that is someone who shares the same brand values that you know, we try to have within Shiner. And we talk a lot about our independence. We pride ourselves on being very uncomplicated. We want to be that uncomplicated beer for uncomplicated good times. We want to be down to earth. We want to be a big tent brand where everybody is welcome, like the back patio of your favorite bar. So we're targeting consumers that sort of, you know, share that same value. This spiritual Texan beer drinker doesn't have to live in Texas. These folks are grounded. They're self-confident. They're centered. They don't take themselves too seriously, just like our brand. They tend to be very successful what they do at what they do, but they're laid back. They're unpretentious. They're professional, but they long for a life with a little more mud on the tires and, and dirt on their boots. That's the consumer that we're trying to talk to. And we're trying to get that messaging across in, in our brand voice and have our brand values come through loud and clear. And we think that we're going to be really successful at, at connecting with consumers that, that share those same values. You asked about the projects that we're working on. One, obviously, we have a hugely robust innovation agenda. Craft Beer is, is all about innovation. And we've certainly got that going at a high level. You obviously have a very clear strategy of, hey, who is our consumer? We know who we're gonna, who's going to engage. But finding them is one thing. But how then do you then convert them? It's in these different markets. If I'm outside Texas, what channels are you focused on? How do you get that engagement that then converts to sales? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll answer that in two ways. Obviously, in this industry, like many others, you need fantastic execution. And normally we'd be talking about off-premise and on-premise, meaning sort of supermarkets, liquor stores being your, your off-premise and bars and restaurants being your on-premise. Like many other companies during the pandemic, we've really had to shift our focus pretty rapidly to the off-premise. But in general, the on-premise would be a fantastic way to get consumers to think of us. We have a lot of connection moments, country music and barbecue being big ones. So we tend to fare very well in bars and restaurants that have that are either serving barbecue or have that laid back country vibe. We perform very well. And a lot of consumers have traveled through Texas. They're aware of what Shiner is and how special it is down here. And that's the little cue to get them to try it again. When they try it again, they realize how accessible and, and sessionable the liquid is. And I think that's part of what keeps coming keeps them coming back. In the off-premise and grocery and, and liquor stores, it's about execution. It's making sure we, we are featured on the shelf. We have displays on the floor. We're going to appeal to consumers. A lot of beer is really blocking and tackling. So we have to be great about that. And then the final piece is just really, again, finding the right consumer who shares our values and then looking to develop those connection moments with them. 
And with beer, those connection moments tend to be things like sports. They tend to be, for us, country music. I mentioned barbecue. We do, our consumers tend to be patriotic outside of Texas. There's a lot of Texas pride inside of Texas. And we have programs and our consumer loves outdoor lifestyle and activity as well. And we tap into a lot of programs that, that inspire that. We've got country music partnerships. We're big into, we have a program called Toast Our Troops, which it supports the boot campaign, which is a, a charitable organization that provides life improvement programs for veterans and military families. So we're big into honoring and giving back to our armed services, our veterans and our heroes through that partnership. We do, we conduct something called Operation Barbecue Relief, which provides meals to folks who need them, particularly in the wake of national emergencies. We have them operating uh, in two locations in Texas right now, after the weather we had here last week. And they're just providing hot meals to folks who, who don't have access to that right now. So we're looking to activate against real connection moments for our consumers and, and connect with them that way. I love that. I think it's from a partnership standpoint, obviously totally can see that connection with country music, barbecue, because I will say I, the Shiner goes really well with barbecue. I don't know what it is, but they it just hits. So you've got now your traditional Shiner Bach, where everybody knows. You're also expanding that portfolio. So let's talk about that a little bit as well. Yeah, I, like most craft brands in this this day and age, we have a portfolio of brands. And as you said, Shinerbach is by far our flagship. It's about 75, 75-ish percent of our overall sales. And it's a desert island beer for, for many Texans. And Bach beers are, are traditionally celebrated to celebrate, are traditionally brewed to celebrate the coming of spring. And they're meant to showcase this barley malt, they're meant to be smooth. They're meant to be easy drinking, really refreshing, really sessionable. And, and Shiner checks all of those boxes. It's really for consumers that are looking for a really refreshing, accessible liquid that, you know, is a go-to beer. It's craft, but it's accessible to all. And it's our most awarded beer. We just won last year the, the European Beer Star for Best Session Beer. I think that's a great recognition from people who are authorities in beer. And then just under Bach, we have Shiner Light Bond, which when we launched this, they said that a craft light beer couldn't be done. And we said, well, <laughs> hold our beer. And put simply, it's done right. It's the number one craft beer in Texas. It's only 99 calories, but it's super flavorful, super refreshing. And then we have a couple of non-traditional beers that are growing really quickly in our portfolio. We have one called Ruby Redbird, which is made with grapefruit from the Rio Grande Valley here in Texas. It's combined with ginger for a, a beer that's just really refreshing at any time of year. This one is also only 95 calories, so you can, you can have more than one of them. And then we launched, just launched last year, we have a beer called Weiss and Easy that is a wheat beer that has all the flavor of a wheat beer with, without any of the heaviness. And it's brewed with local Texas dewberries, which are a relative of the blackberry for kind of a little bit of a fruity sweetness. So those are our flagship brand. And then the four variants that are driving a lot of the growth within our portfolio. Like many craft brands, we have a robust seasonal program highlighted by our Oktoberfest and our Shiner Holiday Cheer, which these are anticipated all year round by our fans. In fact, like Consumers love to say when Cheer launches, it's like when Starbucks launches their pumpkin spice latte. Our fans go a little nuts and we tend to get consumers sending us pictures of 
they're them stocking, like fully stocking their garage fridges so that they can enjoy cheer into March, April. So we've got a robust seasonal program. We do some one-offs to surprise and delight our fans. And I talked about our innovation agenda. I came from a little bit more of a, a spirits background. And in spirits, you might launch one new innovation a year. In the beer game, it's fast and furious. We launched two to four new year-round beers per year. We're launching five or more seasonals each year. We've got three variety packs that we're constantly renovating and updating. We have some high-end craft offerings. We typically do about four of those a year. It could be anywhere from 15 to 20 new products that we're launching each year. Part of my agenda is really making sure that we're focused on that. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes in terms of hitting retail reset windows, and making sure that the product is available on shelf to our consumers, which is the first step. You need to make that product physically available to Shiner consumers who want to go buy it. But then it's how do you support those brands from a, a messaging and a marketing and a brand comms standpoint? And how do you make them mentally available and top of mind to our consumers when they're walking into the store and looking to make a purchase? That's been really fun, really eye-opening for me during my first six months here. So going forward, what are some of the different areas of opportunity? Obviously, innovation is always going to be key. Where do you see, I guess, opportunities for you to really blow it out? Yeah, there's three areas that I'm really focused on and excited about outside of the innovation that I just spoke to. And first and foremost, it's been drilled into my head. I was trained really well at Diageo. I didn't realize it at the time because you absorb it through osmosis, but I, I did realize once I became a leader outside of that company and heading up marketing teams at other suppliers, that I really did learn a lot. And it's made me realize how passionate I am about coaching and training my teams going forward from that point. So for me, the, the first things first was really developing an intense focus on our consumer a really deep understanding of who our target consumer is. So as you mentioned earlier, the beer category is hugely competitive. And we as marketers, we like to think that our brands are very high involvement purchases. And I talked about the love letters we get from consumers about China. Guess what? I'd like to think they're only drinking China. They're not, right? Even our most loyal consumers are really only drinking China 20% of the time. So we've got the opportunity to re-recruit those existing consumers by making the brand more relevant, more interesting to them and more top of mind when they're in a bar or restaurant or in, in that grocery store looking to buy beer. We also have the opportunity to recruit new consumers into the brand. And China is still obviously hugely relevant in Texas. But as I said, we need to be in constant recruitment mode. And for some consumers, this brand maybe because of its history and heritage might not be as excited to them as as exciting to them as something that is hyper local or something that is new and completely you know off the wall and different. A chocolate peanut butter marshmallow caramel you know latte stout, for example. We try to make our beers extremely accessible to consumers, but we want to try to make it really interesting and recruit these new consumers into the brand and get them to reconsider Shiner as an option for them. We've also identified two areas where the brand hasn't really focused on in the past and are big priorities for us as we look forward. And that's multicultural consumers. We know that one out of five Shiner beer drinkers is multicultural. And we've done very little to really connect with those consumers in an organic way. We're looking to 
do a better job of recruiting multicultural consumers and then also women consumers. As I talked about, we want to be a big 10 brand. We have variants within our portfolio like Ruby Redbird, like Weiss and Easy that appeal to a wide range of consumers and tend these two tend to over-index a little bit with female consumers. So we know that we have opportunity there. It's about really connecting with women consumers as well and recruiting them in. So that's really the first opportunity was around developing this relentless focus on consumer, re-recruiting our existing consumers and recruiting new consumers into the brand. The second one is related to that. It's really how do we do that? And we've recently brought on a new lead creative agency, Bakery out of Austin. And we're really looking to shake things up a little bit. This brand has a tremendous foundation and it's had some amazing campaigns here in Texas over the years, but it has gotten perhaps a a, a little stodgy. And if we're going to achieve our goals of re-recruiting and cutting through to our existing consumers and bringing in new consumers, we're going to come up, need to come up with something that's a little bit more unique, a little bit more innovative, cut through. And how do we translate that brand fame in such a way that it's going to continue to differentiate Shiner from that sea of other options out there? So we're really excited. We're kicking things off with the new agency. They're getting very involved with our innovation agenda and our creative development. So they'll be developing uh, a number of creative campaigns across our portfolio over the next six months or so. So that's been a big focus for the, the team and I. And then finally, e-commerce. And this is something that many industries have realized is increasingly important as a result of the pandemic. I think none more so than beverage alcohol. Prior to the pandemic, beverage alcohol, our e-commerce was about 2% of the total industry, which was significantly lower than most other CPG. And we know, we as marketers know how quickly consumer behavior has shifted on a dime as a result of the pandemic. And in some cases, beverage alcohol e-commerce is estimated at 15% plus now, just in call it the, the last 11 months or so. And it's a result of consumer behavior. It's a result of consumers becoming aware that in their state, it may be legal to order beverage alcohol online. And it's a result of many states relaxing some of their regulatory restrictions in light of the pandemic to help out small business small businesses to help out the on-premise, help out the local liquor stores, et cetera, because all of our e-commerce is fulfilled by local retailers. That last mile delivery has become easier. The biggest logistic area before was the fact that that last mile was very difficult to accomplish in an affordable way. A lot of the barriers have been removed from that. Beverage alcohol e-commerce is exploding. It's up, you know, estimates have it up at at plus 300% since the beginning of the pandemic. And It's a big opportunity for us, particularly here in Texas, where this is a brand that is top of mind and consumers want. So we're going from essentially zero e-commerce to a very robust platform that leverages the e-commerce through some of our our retail chains, some of the supermarket chains down here in Texas, some of the independent liquor stores down here in Texas, as well as third-party platforms like Favor, like Instacart, and also through some of our own e-commerce. We're in the process of building out our own e-commerce platform so consumers can get beer directly on our platform through a licensed wholesaler and licensed third-party retailer. So to recap, those are the big things that I'm focused on. It's consumers, it's our innovation agenda, it's new creative cut-through, and e-com. You got a full plate. 
<laughs> a little bit, but we're having a lot of fun. This is the beer industry. And I tell my team almost every day, if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong. That's true. And what's great though, is as heavily regulated it is and all the compliance and, and, and things that just make it difficult, it is still a product that gives people enjoyment and they enjoy that. Usually when you're having a cocktail, you're with friends, you're with family, you're celebrating. And even in hard times, you're there, it's there with you. And I think those are things that people need to remember and it should be kept at a more fun pace. So um, yeah, absolutely. And obviously we want consumers to drink our products responsibly, but when done, there's very few CPG segments out there where consumers have such a deep emotional connection to the product. As you mentioned, Rusty, consumers mark significant milestones in their lives by having a beer or a glass of champagne or wine or a cocktail. And part of what keeps me so passionate about what I do and so passionate about this industry is hearing that from consumers and getting those little reminders that, you know, wow, I, you're walking around in a shiner jacket or something like that. And you have consumers stopping you in the grocery store and telling you stories about what the brand meant to them. To me, I find that gives a lot of meaning to the work that we do. And it, it helps me be really passionate uh, about what I do. And to me, you know, that's one of the big things that I, I attribute much of the success that I've had in this industry. I've heard from my colleagues at, at almost every level that I'm one of the most passionate brand marketers that they've ever worked with. And I think that's that's probably one of my greatest strengths. And that's why I feel like sometimes this doesn't feel like a job. It, it feels like fulfilling that, that personal passion that I spoke about earlier when we were talking. I think it, it was great opportunity for Gambrinus to bring you on to lead these efforts. There's definitely, I think your background sets you up into the right position to be able to capitalize on your background and your experience. And it sounds like you've got just the wind in your sails right now. And can't wait to see how this journey unfolds for you guys. I appreciate you coming on the show to share more about the Gambrinus company and your background. Rusty, thank you so much. As I said, I'm new in this role and I'm just incredibly proud to be part of a team that gets to help tell the story of a brand that's so near and dear to the heart of so many Texans, and then also to spread that word beyond Texas. So I really appreciate you having me on today and, and thank you. Yeah. Next time you're up in Austin, let me know. Let's go grab a, a cold one or at least That'd lunch be fantastic or something. Too. That sounds awesome. All right, buddy. Appreciate All right, it. All right, Rusty. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the Why Marketing Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Until the next time. <laughs>